Hello! Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This is a space where spirited, hurting, searching, faithful people come together and ask hard questions and listen to some really wise people share about how they have lived life deeply. If this episode spoke to you, I hope that you leave a review and subscribe. You can visit YouTube slash Allison Sullivan for some really fun extras. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. We had four kids in as many years, and to say that that decade of my life was exhausting would be an understatement. I would lay in bed during that time and watch my husband get ready for work, and he would cinch his belt around his trim waist. And I realized one morning watching him getting ready that what I felt was jealous. I felt jealous that the work that he would do would be concise. I felt jealous that he would be able to walk underneath an exit sign at the end of his day and it would be over. I felt jealous about the prestige that he would receive while he was there. And so I prayed a prayer one morning and it was, here I am, send me. Now I admit that what I meant when I said this prayer was that I wanted to have a life of influence. I wanted to be impactful. I had an epiphany one morning soon after, and it was at the HEB. It was a Friday morning. I had all four kids at the grocery store, and I don't mean to make that sound simple because what really it was was an Olympic event. It was an Olympic event called Roll a Cart Full of Demanding, Fighting, Needy Children around a store filled with things they want and the things you need. No, of course, those things are not the same. And then see if you can get out unscathed with all of the appropriate materials and none of the crap. Good luck. On this day in particular, I was in the produce section, and my kids were spilling out of the grocery cart. My third child had his Spider-Man tennis shoe planted right in the middle of the loaf of bread. When will I learn to get the bread last? My oldest, who was intent on helping, had sent a pyramid of apples tumbling to the ground, and I was scolding everyone through clenched teeth when I looked up and I saw my friend. Her kids were doing about the same thing as mine, minus the rolling apples, and we looked at each other relieved to be in the same boat. She came over and helped me pick up some apples, and we started chatting for a little bit. And as we were talking, I noticed that her attention was divided. Her eyes kept being pulled away, and I followed her gaze, and I saw that she was looking at a woman wearing a hijab who was inspecting a kiwi. I saw nothing unusual about the woman, and I couldn't help but wonder why my friend was checking out of our conversation to watch this girl. And finally, as though she couldn't restrain herself for one more second, she just blurted out, I'm sorry, but can you hold on a second? Sure, I started to say, but before I even had time to get the word out, she was walking towards this young woman. I was watching from about 15 feet away, wondering if she already knew her and just needed to say hello. But the next few seconds let me know that that was not the case. My friend, she walked up gently. She extended her hand. She smiled. She was doing most of the talking. The young girl was looking at her feet, only occasionally glancing up to smile. She was still holding the kiwi, and my friend was starting to gesture towards it. She appeared to be rambling on while the girl smiled more and more, looking up and meeting her eyes with more frequency. I was still wondering why my friend would interrupt us, trust me with her kids, when my own were sending produce rolling, when all of a sudden I saw her take the kiwi from the young girl, get her car keys out of her purse, and then use one to cut the fruit open. She held it proudly up, dripping, while she and the stranger shared a laugh together. The young girl was shocked. Her mouth was wide open in a smile. She looked around to see who might be watching, if they might get in trouble. 
My friend was unconcerned with all of that, and she just pointed out the vibrant color of the fruit. There was more talking and laughing, some sticky handshaking, and then my friend headed back our way. She grabbed a plastic bag off of the roller on her way. She wrapped the kiwi in it, and I stood staring at her, waiting for an explanation. She put her keys back in her purse along with the kiwi, and then just matter-of-factly said, that's Sabina. She's an international student. She had never seen a kiwi before. She had never seen a kiwi before. They are weird little fruits, aren't they? And I stood there staring at my friend, bewildered, amazed, inspired. We were in the grocery store with our children. We were in a conversation. There were rolling apples and whining children and smashed loaves of bread. And yet my friend had the wherewithal to notice an international student looking at a kiwi with a perplexed facial expression practically halfway across the store. My friend had the selflessness in the midst of all of that to realize that this person might be far away from home. Maybe she was in a foreign land with no family to accompany her. Maybe she had never seen a kiwi and had no clue what it was. My friend had the selflessness to consider her existence was possibly lonely and confusing. Her selflessness stunned me. But it wasn't just that. It was her awareness. It was as though she were looking for an opportunity to love someone. Oh, and that was my epiphany. How about that? Here I am. Send me. We are called to love. It's a shame that that was my epiphany, that we are called to love. How many different ways had I heard it before? What she did, it wasn't even a big deal. She just introduced herself to a stranger and stole a kiwi. She could have paid for it. I don't know. But it took six minutes of her time. She loved her neighbor as though it wasn't a metaphor. She actually acted loving towards her neighbor. And there was something about seeing her own, here I am, send me an action that made me beg the question, how much time have I wasted frantically waving my hand around, waiting to be chosen for some God-sized mountain, and then consequently miss the people-sized mountains all around me every minute of every day? What she did, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was to me, and it was to Sabina. Of course, I long for my life to have meaning. It's not wrong to long for a life that matters or to be influential even, but I learned that my impacting life, it's not dependent upon ambitious or thrilling mountains. My impacting life is using strengths that God gave me to love people around me. Influence may be a byproduct of that. Maybe not. It's nothing to focus on. Loving well is. One of my very favorite writers, Shannon Martin, is on the show today with the revolutionary message that our hello can actually change the world. I know that you will love what you hear. Friends, I adore Be a Heart Design. Go ahead and look them up now while you listen and hit follow. Be a Heart Design is committed to creating and experiencing beauty. They create products that walk us through the joys and sorrows of life. Swaddle blankets, wooden puzzles, laptop sleeves, lunch boxes, digital planners, and my very favorite paper planner. This thing does not just keep me organized, but it also keeps me rooted in prayer. Everything that's created is designed to reflect God's goodness. Go to Be A Heart Design on Instagram and BeAHeart.com to check out the many gifts for special occasions. Christmas is just around the corner. Or just pick something up to let someone know that you're thinking of them. Or go pick up something for yourself. You'll love it. 
Hello, Shannon. This is a really fun interview for me. I'm so happy to have you here. I've been following for a really long time. And I don't know how I found your writing initially, but once I did, um, I I stuck around because there is such an effortlessness, uh, the way that your prose just breaks into poetry. You are so, so gifted with words. And um, you could have no message at all, (laughs) but just the way that you put words together intrigues me, but then you combine how amazingly artful you are with your wisdom and your observance and your servant heart. And I am a fan for life. Like you're just not ever getting rid of me. I would read your grocery list. Um, (laughs) and And then you're just such a friend. And you're writing too. You know, you are so incredibly for people. And so it's one thing to create good art. And then it's another thing to teach good lessons. And then it is quite something else to Mm -hmm. um, truly accompany people as you help them walk deeper into their own hearts Mm -hmm. and their own families and their own communities and their own faith lives. What a gift. This is so Mm -hmm. awesome for me. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad we found each other. <laughs> yes, yes. This, yeah. So, um, Shannon, I have to tell you something. I'm not positive that this will go over well, but because you expose yourself so well in your writing, <laughs> I feel like I can say this to you. But I, I want you to know that I, I cuss you out all the time in my head. Would you like to know why? <laughs> yes, please. Tell me. <laughs> um, so I had this realization and it was during a dry spell. It was during a a kind of a dark spot in our lives. Um, For my husband and I, we um, lost his father quite unexpectedly. Mm. And it was February, which just can oftentimes feel like the longest month in the world. And so it was winter and gray. And, um, and, and I had this realization that just while, I don't know, pursuing the American dream, I had done what middle class people do. Um, I had accidentally zoned out the poor. I had zoned all of the poor out of my life. And and I didn't necessarily mean to do it. I didn't mean not to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it just happened. And it was mm-hmm. while cleaning out closets um, for goodwill that I, I realized that I knew very few poor people and yeah. I certainly couldn't call anyone one a friend. Yeah. And um, so, so, so long story short, this was about mm-hmm. the same time that you were having a, a similar tra- transition. And so mm-hmm. the timing was crazy. Yeah. Um, and I read some, as I'm having all these feelings, these complex feelings, I read something that you wrote and I was like, well, that seals the deal. And <laughs> right. so long, st- long story short, um, I found it, what feels like the last neighborhood in our town that mm-hmm. lets the poor and the rich and the middle class all grow together. Yeah. And we sold our house and for days and we live there now. And here's the cussing you out part. <laughs> Our house is was um, built in the in the 30s, and living in an old house is far more romantic in theory mm-hmm. than it is in practice. And so, when mm-hmm. we have a plumbing problem again, <laughs> I think of you every time. <laughs> do not send me your plumbing bills. Don't do it. Don't do oh. it. I know oh, you well, know. Um, I, well, I love. I love just. I always love hearing from people who have who have had their eyes open in, in the way we had ours open. And it's kind of like, I didn't ask for this either. You know, I didn't ask to just wake up one day and and it sounds like our stories are very similar in that way. And that was really the catalyst for so much of what came next for us was this, this immediate deep understanding of like, Oh, God loves the poor 
And I don't know. I don't know people living in material poverty. And so, you know, I, I've come to even kind of, you know, I just, I, I continue to grow into it and, and kind of the way I think about it and frame it and all those things continues to change and to shift. But, but that really was the question that led to everything that came after it. Everything. So for people who don't know, do you mind catching them up with just in summary for the long version, you guys, please go get falling free, um, which is Shannon Martin's first book. So please go do that. But will you catch Mm -hmm. people up about how you went from this peaceful, rambling, organic acreage um, to becoming a city loving advocate full of crumbly sidewalks and Mm -hmm. chain link fences and tangled telephone wires, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all the... all all things I love. Um, Yeah. You know, you, you really laid a good foundation for the story because that was, you know, people ask often, what was it though? But what was it? I had somebody Mm. just ask me that last week on a, Mm -hmm. on a trip I was on. And, and that really was the thing was coming to understand. I like the way you phrased it, that, that sort of life happens to us. And the next thing we know, we've lived our whole lives surrounded by people who look and live and believe really as we do. It's an accidental um, box, isn't it? Yeah. We can well, find ourselves it, in. It's accidental, but it's also by design. Like this is, yeah. This yeah. is how our, our society and our culture and particularly like our American westernized um, white culture, this is how things were built. You know, we were kind of, we've been, we've been placed into a culture where if we don't, if we don't put some intention to it, that's right. We will be surrounded by, by similarity. And that's just the way that it's going to be. And so we have to be able to kind of bust through some of that. Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I kind of, you know, we fell into this new awareness in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was nothing we did. We can't take credit for it. We honestly hated it at first. Like what's (laughs) happening. You know, we, we did live we were living what we would have considered our American dream mm-hmm. at the time. And the, the really difficult part of that was we had been conditioned to see that American dream life as um, connected in some way to our faith and connected in yeah. some way to our, our relationship with God or God's goodness or, you know, God's blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, we, we had everything we wanted. And we, we convinced ourselves that it was from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to, we had to come to a place of, wow. of yeah. detaching ourselves from what we pretty quickly came to see as, you know, we were living the American dream with a side of Jesus. Like we were doing our thing wow. and kind of just bringing Jesus along with it because we were born Christians. And, you know, the, these are, this was just the air we had always breathed, um, and so it was a slow unraveling from there. I do detail it in Falling Free, my first book, just kind of, that's the book that's like, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it yeah. tells all the stories. Um, but we did end up selling that farmhouse and moving into the neighborhood where I sit right now. We've lived here for, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. So it's been it's by far the longest we've lived anywhere um, and, and our neighborhood and our neighbors specifically changed our lives. The people yeah. around us changed the ways we see the world and the ways we see ourselves in the world and the ways we see and understand God. And they changed our politics. They changed our, our lens yeah. on expressing faith and church and just everything. And 
it's worth saying, you know, because this is an, an important piece of context for me, Corey, my husband, Corey, and I are both white parents of four non-white children. And so that's just another layer for us in, um, in, in kind of leaning into what life really could and should look like if we, if we take our, our sense of neighbor, like our calling as, as neighbors and our spiritual identity as neighbors, if we start to really take that seriously. Um, my kids play a big role in that too. So yeah. yeah, that's kind of the, you know, there, there was all kinds of, of extra change that came about. My husband shifted out of work in federal politics into, he's now the, the chaplain of the County jail. And yeah, I, I mean, it's just like the, the, the ripple effects keep widening, yeah. you know, but it, but it started with that initial question of who are the poor, who really is my neighbor what does it look like to to live as neighbors together and to love my neighbor and to be loved by my neighbor those yeah. were those were the questions we were yeah. asking and where the only problems aren't just my own yeah you know, and where I, and where i can't solve my own problems i mean yeah, you yeah. know it's not to say life was always perfect or easy it didn't feel that way at all but but we were in a position where we could mostly solve our own problems if we were yeah. being honest with ourselves and and that's not that's not um that's another thing that, that we have to constantly resist, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So in that transition, your ministry really changed. And I love the way you write about ministry because you used to be positive that ministry just only meant drudgery. It was like, in your <laughs> mind's eye, you yeah. were either going to end up on a dirt floor somewhere in a tent with a mosquito net, or you were yeah. going to end up some like habited nun. And both of those seemed <laughs> terrible. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah, um, right. None of, none of those were enticing. Um, so, but you had this, a, a realization that ministry very much included you. Um, yeah. when did that realization begin? How did it take shape and what yeah. changes did it bring when you considered that word anew or mm -hmm. when you considered newly what yeah. it meant to maybe have a calling? Yeah. I mean, that's the, the language I grew up around was like, you know, so-and-so was called to the ministry yeah. and that always meant, you know, the mission field, um, which has all kinds of baggage around it too, that we won't get into today, but it, it either meant <laughs> another, like, another podcast. Yeah. Another, another topic for another day, but you were either, you were either being called into the mission field or to be a pastor. And, and honestly, I grew up in a faith context where I was never going to be called to be a pastor because I'm a woman. Um, and so it, it left just really narrow, a really narrow target on what ministry meant to the point that I was almost like, whew, I wasn't called to ministry. Wow. Thank goodness. You know, like that's not the life I wanted. And so to begin to understand at the same time, many of us have this desire to be, you know, used by God or whatever language we might use. Yeah. We want a purpose and we, we like the idea of a specific calling and, and what I came to see really once I was put in place in this neighborhood, in this house, on this street, in this neighborhood, was that that my calling, our calling, anyone who professes um, faith as a Christian, I would say our calling is to live as a neighbor. You know, that's, that is the, the heartbeat of, of scripture is love God and love your neighbor. And for so long, I just hoped that not hating my neighbor counted as Ooh. loving my neighbor. Wow. You know, like, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I'm going to be never going to be really mean to anybody. And like, is that good enough? <laughs> Does that count? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but but really living can i just in, smile at my barista right is that enough <laughs> i'll leave an extra tip like all mm-hmm. these things that we that aren't bad things but but we're missing the mark in particular when we are not understanding what it looks like to live kind of pressed up against people who we think of as different than us in some way and that can mean any number of things um you know I was conditioned. I was, I don't know that I was ever taught this in words, but I was conditioned to believe that difference was in some way dangerous or, Mm -hmm. you know, that differences, you know, depending on what they were, but they, you know, we should keep some distance and we should kind of put up those, those walls or those fences or those barriers. And, and so to be, to land in a place where it was like, okay, there's, I'm now surrounded by a lot of differences, a lot of different kinds of differences. Um, that gives a different meaning to who is my neighbor and, and what does it look like to live the calling of neighbor? Honestly, it looks very boring and ordinary most yeah. days. Um, and that's where that, that's where my second book came out, mm-hmm. came out of was, you know, my second book, the ministry of ordinary places was was kind of me asking the question, okay, here we are now, what, yeah. what do I do? You know, right. I just had this, I had this like evangelical hardwiring to do something. And, and what I learned was that my, my biggest job, quite honestly, was to, to, to get better at paying attention, yeah. to be more present in this actual life, in this actual place, and to believe that, that the work here was going to be small and hidden and awkward a lot of times, but that, and slow, but that it was going to, um, it, it, it was building into that calling that we just talked yeah. about. Like that is the call. Um, you know, you, I love how you say that the road from, um, neighbor to family is surprisingly short mm-hmm. and that it's only long when it's viewed, you know, from a distance. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you talk about this American concept of neighbor, which is the people that we stand, you know, at the edges of our driveways or whatever, and just politely wave to, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, retreat back to our own spaces, um, which is, which is polite, but it's distanced. And, um, and then you talk about God's concept of neighbor, which, which you just touched on, you know, that there's going to be a lot of differences that it, that's probably going to rub you the wrong way, (laughs) you know, that, that it is going to be challenging. And so, um, one of the things that you did to pay this holy kind of attention that you're mm-hmm. talking about is you just started walking to school. Yeah. You just started this very simple yet routine yeah. and consistent practice of walking the streets of your neighborhood. Can you yeah. tell us about how something that small changed you? It changed my life. I mean, it sounds so dramatic <laughs> and yeah. I can be a dramatic person. I don't mind melodrama. <laughs> When we moved into this neighborhood, my kids were little. Um, my oldest was at the time, my oldest was in second grade. My daughter was in kindergarten and my youngest was in preschool. Um, and we did not long after that, we did add to our family via our oldest son, Robert, who was 19 at the time. So Mm -hmm. he's now 28 years old. You know, he's a, he's a grown man living a grown man life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so even our family changed, but, you know, I had these three little kids at home with me and we knew from the start that we were going to send them to our neighborhood public school. It's two blocks away, two and a half blocks away. Um, We knew that it was going to be important that if we really came here to, 
to live as neighbors, even if we couldn't quite put that language around it early on. But we had like a vague sense of, you know, what we what we were hoping to do here, um, that it was important that we that we spend time in the places our neighbors were spending time. And so it was really never a question to us that we were going to send our kids to the school. What was a question to us, oddly, was how we were going to get there in the mornings. And so <laughs> for the first year, I'm so embarrassed to say that I put my kids into the minivan and drove them two and a half blocks. I don't have an excuse. All I can tell you is <laughs> I had grown up my whole life in the country and we yeah. just drove everywhere. It's just yeah. what we did. Yeah. And you know, mornings are hard and we were always yeah. running late and all these things. But, but at some point I had just like a, a momentary wake up call of, of recognizing, okay, these are the folks around me are people I I'm really pretty desperate to get to know. We're here now. We want to get to know our neighbors. Like that seems important in the, in the scheme of things. And I'm driving past them as they're all walking their kids to school. Yeah. Many, many people in my neighborhood, for one thing, don't drive for any number of reasons, but we have a lot of people who don't drive. And then a lot of people who just wisely knew that it was, it was, it was easy enough to walk to school. And so we, we just endeavored to begin doing that. I, at the same time, kind of because I, you know, we're living in the age of social media, I would walk my kids to school on the quick walk back, I would find something beautiful and take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. And it, it became this, it, I didn't think of it as any holy or sacred practice at all. I just knew that I was living here and I wanted to learn my place. I wanted to learn to find my place beautiful. We live in a neighborhood mm -hmm. that quite bluntly, a lot of people would not consider beautiful. Yeah. And I knew that it was, but I wanted to prove it to myself. I wanted to track down that huh. beauty. And so every day I would just snap a quick picture and it, it and what it did was it retrained my brain mm. to, to pay attention to low places, like yeah. to, to exist on a street level, to pay attention to creation in a way I had never done before, you know, to pay attention to the sky and to the trees yeah. and to begin to know then like, oh, this person lives in this house and yeah. this is, you know, this is kind of the rhythm and routine. And over time you get to know faces and over time you get to know names and, and all of these really small moments add up to a life. They add up to a life of connection yeah. with the people closest to us. So that the more I was paying attention, the more I found my place beautiful, the more I found this place beautiful, the more I, I noticed and found the people around me beautiful. And as that began to happen, you know, then you find yourself loving yes. the people around you. And then yeah. like the best part of all, you find yourself being loved by the people mm. around you. And when we can get to that place of, of knowing and being known of loving and being loved, that is what it is to live as neighbors. Like we are giving and we are receiving. And until we get to both, we're missing something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. And it started with something just as simple as removing this steel and glass barrier, you know, like right. it's, it's really just proximity right? that, um, that a lot, you know, there's a priest I love, his name is father Josh Johnson. You would love him too. And he, um, he would just, it, it with the same, um, holy tug that, that you mm -hmm. felt, he 
felt commanded to just walk the streets of yeah. his parish. You know, these are the streets. These are the people yeah. that live within. And so, and it did, it, cre- it created a love. It stirred an mm-hmm. affection. And then with that love, with that affection, we can embrace differences, you know, yes. you know like you're talking about. And there's this idea I have of like all of us, it, you know, it's a metaphor, but like we're just all in the same kitchen, kind of yes. doing our own thing, yeah. like creating this grand meal and everybody's doing something a little different because I don't bake, but like the aromas are out there hitting people on the outside and people are intrigued. They're like, what's going on in there? You know? And so I, you know, there's, I think it's Michelle Obama that says it's hard to hate up close. And so there's something about that proximity and you literally walking the streets that is so completely transformative. Um, Okay. Since you, you ended on this and, and I do, I think it's really, really important, but you are very honest in your writing about unlearning what we've absorbed yeah. about who people are. And, um, you get really honest about this realization that you've had that you're, you were assuming people needed your help yeah. in this, in this new space. And you talk about this two way street, which you just mm-hmm. mentioned, um, and what it means to receive mm-hmm. and how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, Give us a few examples of that, of how yeah. you've been served and loved. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, how difficult I, that was maybe initially. Right. I would say the first wrong assumption I made was that I necessarily had help to give, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like I, for real, like, you know, you, you arrive in a place and you see people struggling in ways you have not struggled before. And the impulse is so within reach to think, oh, I could, I could help. You know, I felt like we had done a lot of work between, you know, realizing we were going to move and then moving that just took time. And and that time was fruitful in some ways, but man, I still had a lot of stuff that I needed to kind of cut loose (laughs) from, from me as a person and just, and, and that just takes time and it takes proximity and it takes a willingness to self reflect and be honest about the ways we have contributed to, um, to pain and to, to the problems around us. So what I would say now is that, you know, in a certain sense, I keep writing from different angles and different vantage points. I keep writing about this idea of living as neighbors, because I think it's that it's that important and it's that big and it shapes us that much, but I don't write about living as a neighbor because I, I feel like I'm particularly gifted at it. Mm Um, I I'm writing about it because I've learned some things along the way Mm -hmm. that are worth sharing. And every single thing I know I've learned from my actual neighbors. So, so that's where, you know, living intentionally near people and, and living from a posture of, I'm going to be curious. I'm going to, I had to really kind of give myself permission early on to just be curious about people, to not see people as, uh, oh, you know, they, they believe differently or they, whatever, whatever yeah. difference there might be and where I would have maybe kind of like thought, oh, okay, I'm supposed to keep my distance from this person. You know, maybe they felt the same way about me. I don't know, but to, to give myself permission to, to really enjoy that curiosity, yeah. to really begin to listen, um, to, to speak less and to try to see in some small way the world from a a different pair of eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. leaning into those, um, impulses and those practices, they have taught me what it means to, to live as neighbors. So anything I know that comes to me secondhand, 
Yeah. Um, there's one particular story that, that comes to mind right off the bat. And it's such a moving and meaningful story. It will stick with me forever. Our, our next door neighbors and a lot of our neighbors, we have a language barrier with. So a lot of my neighbors are, are Spanish speakers as their first language. And with these particular neighbors, um, it's just, I, my husband, and I don't speak Spanish. I, I remember just bits and pieces from high school Spanish and, and that's it. And they consistently invite us into their home for their kids' birthday parties. And this is something they do so much better than we do. Like our, our birthday parties are just, my poor kids see what they are missing out on all the time. And so what, in one of these parties, they invited us over, you know, their whole, their, a lot of their extended family and friends are there. We are the only people in a crowded house who do not have Spanish as our first language. And so a lot of what was being said, we couldn't understand. And I just remember being there, like, you know, just smiling at people and hoping it was enough. And yeah, it feels maybe a little awkward. Yeah. But at some point towards the end of the party, they bring the cake out and the kitchen gets quiet and, you know, people start kind of chattering to each other in Spanish. And I remember distinctly feeling like they're talking about us, but I don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so they have a brief conversation and they proceed to sing happy birthday to their daughter who's turning 12 in English. And they did that 100% because we were in the room. And that is the sort of welcome. That is the sort of hospitality that, that I exist on the receiving end of, you know, that this is, this is an important day for, for their family, for their child. And yet in the midst of all of that, they are finding ways to bring me comfort. I have a lot to learn from that. Yeah. It's, it feels like a small thing, but it's also such a huge thing. It is. Like, how can we not be changed by this? Yeah. Wow. That's really, really beautiful. I traveled to uh, Costa Rica as a senior in college as part of a school uh, curriculum thing uh, for teaching. And I was forever changed by, you know, I could speak Spanish, but really only in situations where it was allowed to be funny. So like if, you know, if if it was a serious situation, let's not leave that to me. Um, But I could get by. And (laughs) people were so patient with my attempts and my bad accent. And I I was completely undone by the kindness because I know what it looks, what it looked like at home that yeah. people were immediately annoyed if your accent was too thick, yeah, you know, right. or, or if you were butchering yeah. something. Um, yeah. so I, I definitely, uh, remember the, uh, just the impact of, of that level of, of patience and kindness and, and yeah. thoughtfulness. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we fall into that, um, uh, I don't want to say arrogance. I, I don't know that we fall into that arrogance because of some, you know, depravity or like grand deficiency. I think mm-hmm. almost as, as women in particular, we can be trained to think that giving is loving. So yeah, in right. order to love, well, I just need to give, I just need to give when really sacrifice. Right. Yeah. And it really, it's an exchange. Like love mm-hmm. is what happens in the middle. And so we need a giver and a taker. Yeah. And so that, you know, that, that in between is really, really important. The two way street that you talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one of the ways that I've learned to kind of frame this is, you know, that if somebody says to me, what does it look like to actually live as neighbors? I would say it looks like asking for what we need and offering what we can. And, and so it's, it's, it's a both and, and it has to be, and we do, I think you're right. Like as, as Christian women, we have to pull ourselves away from this, um, this just this 
idea that we have to constantly be the one, you know, it's like the old Mary and Martha conundrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but pulling ourselves away from this idea that we have to be the ones always offering whatever it is, hospitality or whatever, yeah. it's so much more vulnerable for many yeah. of us to yeah. receive. It's harder, yeah. which means yeah. it's, it's, it's almost more important. Yeah. But I do, I think it comes from a noble place of just wanting to love well. We're just confused yeah, yeah. about, you know, what that, yeah, um, for sure. So we know that there are heartaches that we can't fix and injustices mm-hmm. that we can't make right and brokenness that we ourselves might never be able to um, undo. But mm-hmm. we do know that we can bear witness and that we can carry burdens. We can help people carry burdens and we can put ourselves in each other's lives and believe that it matters. And um, you, I know that you were exposed to so much heartache. I mean, just around, you know, just being around poverty lends itself to so much struggling. Um, and you talk really well about these buckets and mm-hmm. holding two buckets um, mm-hmm. is the most efficient way to to get something done. And so when people mm-hmm. ask you the question of, are you sad or are you still sad? You have yeah. a very specific answer to that. Yeah. You know, I learned this on the farm where I grew up. It was not a big farm. It was a little tiny farm, but there on a, on a farm, there are a lot of heavy things to carry. And my dad always taught us that the easiest way, it seems counterintuitive, but the easiest way to carry something heavy is to carry two of them, one in each hand so that you're balancing. It kind of gives us like a, a gravitational center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, as, as, as I learned for the first time ever to live near pain, um, to live near grief and, and heartache and injustice and all these things that I had not been accustomed to it. I I came to understand that. Yeah. Now this is new for me. I'm sad almost every day. There's something to be sad about almost every day. Mm -hmm. There's also something joyful to be, to be felt every single day. And so those are the two buckets that I, that I want to carry. And I have to carry both. I cannot put one down for the sake of the other. They have to be carried together to give me that that's that central gravity. Um, so that we can, you know, living as neighbors means that we, and, and, you know, I use the the term neighbor loosely. I'm not only talking about the people to the left and to the right of me talking about anybody whose life I'm is intersecting mine, you know, community, the way to actually be in community is to, is to commit to suffering together and celebrating together. You know, we grieve together Mm -hmm. and we feast together. Mm -hmm. And, and so every, every point has its counterpoint and we just have to make sure that we are carrying both. We cannot set down the idea of pain. I mean, I had spent most of my life being able to make wide detours around most pain, not all pain, but most, you know, I could live sheltered to injustice. That is a privilege. I could live sheltered to material poverty. I could live sheltered from addiction. Um, And so to begin to understand that instead of making such a wide path around it, maybe the truly abundant life meant like driving headlong into it, that maybe that maybe God's goodness was still good in the midst of that hard thing. And, And once we see that, once we know that to be true, we, we are going to hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have this revolutionary idea that maybe our lives don't have to be revolutionary level to <laughs> change the world, but instead, <laughs> but instead we can be world shakers from our own little corners, as you mm-hmm. say. Um, why are we resistant to that? 
What is our need for grandiosity or for a cape or for a microphone or a stage that seems, it seems like that is baked into our souls. And I know that your most transformative work has been done, um, privately, you know, and in your kitchen, not on a stage. What are the, what are our missteps and what's the correction? Well, I just think this is part of the culture we're in. And and I don't want to, it's it feels like an easy target to just blame the culture. It's like, what does that even mean? But I do think we are we are shaped and we are formed by the systems around us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these systems around us prioritize things like wealth, monetary wealth and fame and prestige and reputation and you know, all of these, what we would think of as kind of big things. And it's in that hiddenness and in that obscurity where we can actually live into our, our ministry as a neighbor. You know, that's where there's, there's nothing fame worthy about, about listening to someone who's going through a hard time. And there's just nothing, you're not going to get rich by offering someone a glass of water on your patio. And like, you know, you're not going to, it's not like the the quick road to, um, notoriety to be taking slow walks in your ordinary overlooked underfunded neighborhood. Like, but, but these are the practices that, that bring us in into attunement, I would say with, with the heart of God, um, where we can, we can really see each other and where we can, you know, let ourselves be ordinary and real and fumbling and awkward those are the things that connect us to the people around us. Yeah. So, so my, you know, my most important work by far, I mean, I get to, I get to write books. I get to talk places and be on podcasts and, you know, I meet a lot of, a lot of great people and some of my closest friends I've met through this work, mm-hmm. but my, my most important work, my calling work is not this. Yeah. My calling is to live as a neighbor, to find ways to be offering what I can and asking for what I need from the people around me. And that looks, that looks a hundred different ways, depending on the day. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. That's amazing. Um, so can we talk about the word hospitality? I laughed out loud when, <laughs> when you said that the word makes you think of aprons and pearls. Cause I'm like, that's why I hate it. That's why I it's so, it's such a bad word. I don't like it at all. Oh, but yeah. that's not really it. It's really that my house stresses me out. It's messy, yeah. okay? And the thing is, is that I can say that, and I know that that's not unique to me. I know that there's yeah. a million other people saying me too. But here's the thing. Yeah. Y'all's messes are adorable. Have you ever noticed <laughs> right. that? It's like other people's piles of laundry are cute. Yeah. Right. Um, so I know that you have your own barriers, whether it be you know introversion or a desire for simplicity. I know that there are a million reasons to not yeah. invite people in, into our homes. And, and you say that sometimes hospitality, it's your worship, and then other times it is wrenched from you. And yeah. I appreciate so much your honesty about something that you do so well being hard for you. Thank you for that mm-hmm. so much. Why should we do it anyway? And what are the starting points? I mean, we were, we were built, we were actually created to know each other and to need each other. And so it's difficult to do that. If we cannot get to the place where we are sharing spaces together, where we are sharing food together, no matter how humble, the the more humble and weird, the better, honestly, in my opinion, that's something I've learned. Like we've got to, we've got to like surrender our, those of us who might have like some Martha Stewart tendencies, they are not helping us 
They are not helping us. They are keeping us further apart. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I am, I thank you for mentioning. I am a deep and true introvert. I would almost always rather be at home on my couch right here, reading a book in my yoga pants with the door firmly shut. Like that's just, (laughs) I am wired that way. And so I wish I could say, you know, sometimes I'm like, but why do I, why am I the one that keeps talking about this? Well, I'll tell you, it's because I have seen the power of, of surrendering myself in that way. I've seen the power of pushing through my tendency which has happened to me a thousand times, you know, that knock on the door, that interruption or what feels like an interruption. You're just like, I'm Every not- introvert has army crawled yes. underneath of the door to not be seen, to pretend yes. to, that we're not home. It's, it's <laughs> a real, real thing. And it, it's, it, the problem is it cannot be our excuse to check out. It cannot yeah. be our excuse to tell ourselves like, well, I'm wired differently. I don't need mm. community or I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not cut out for hospitality. That's not true. We have to push through that barrier and get to the other side of it, which I can tell you for certain is not without risk. And, you know, I have no guarantees that it will always go exactly the way we think it will almost never will. Right. We will, we will be rejected sometimes and it will be awkward a lot of the time. But when we get to that place where like something small clicks in, something works, Um, Even if it feels weird, especially if it feels weird at the other side of that, I have never, ever once felt like, well, that was a waste of my time. Never. (laughs) You always walk away feeling this, you know, kind of this sense of being woven together in this important fabric with the people near us that, you know, not everybody's going to be our best friend. We're not going to be going on vacation with all of our neighbors. That's (sighs) not the goal here, but what the goal is is that we will recognize our need for some level of attachment and connection, all different kinds of attachment, all different levels of, of connection with the people around us. That's what weaves that sturdy fabric where we can be in, in the place where we are right now, knowing that until we are, until we are called to go, we are committed to stay. So we're Mm -hmm. here with intention and understanding that there is a purpose here and understanding understand that it it means something that like, Oh, I'm here and you are too. What if we actually got to just know each other on a really basic level? What if we believe that that was, that was meaningful and important in some way. And so, yes, in summary, that was a long answer, but we Mm. have to, we have to push ourselves because for so many of us, it's not going to come naturally. It's just Mm -hmm. not, it will get easier over time as we exercise those muscles, but mm-hmm. somebody's got to go first. And yeah. if we're going to get to a place where, where we really are connected, which feels impossible in so many ways right now, if we're going to get to a place where, where we truly, um, learn to, to live together well, despite some of our differences, it, it's just probably going to mean making that intention, setting the intention and going first. And because everything is so above ground and fever pitched right now, it's never really felt more important, you right. know, just to and get harder, back to though. that. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the the level of importance, I think, correlates with the level of difficulty or yeah. fear that we have right. around it. And so I just want to normalize that and say, yeah, we're all kind of scared and it feels risky because it is. And, you know, all these things are true. And yet, if we can get to that place, taking these little tiny steps, I mean, the book that I have coming out now is, is a whole book of tiny steps that we can take yeah. because it doesn't have to be, you know, 
where people might listen to this and think like, oh, Shannon's story started by selling her farm and moving into the neighborhood. I'm out, you know, yeah. that's not what it's going to be for most of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it, what it is going to be is that wherever we are, we choose that place. We find it beautiful. We pay attention to the people around us. We find ways slowly over time to get to know each other. And at the end of that is a life that is safer and more secure and more fun and just more, just yeah. more. <laughs> I love, I love so much that every, um, that so many experts that I've had on, um, will have done something that seems radical to most people. Um, Jason Johnson came on about, about foster care. And so you, you think, you know, your, your guard is up because you think he's going to tell you to go, you know, foster a, a family of 10 children. And his, yeah. instead he says, go take a meal to somebody that, you know, fosters. And it's yeah. so kind. It's so humble. Like, thank you for that. Thank you for that very small marching order. If I'm not telling you to sell your farmhouse, you know, right. I'm telling you to do something very tangible. Mm -hmm. Is it Shannon? Start with hello. Will you tell us you about know. your new book? <laughs> In fact, yes. My newest book that, that is just coming out right now is called start with hello, because every relationship that we have, every connection that we have made started so low to the ground in such small ways. And, and almost all of them started with a hello, like a bait, like that's just the beginning. Yeah. It's the beginning of whatever comes next. And so it, the book is, is written as a super practical guide to answer the questions. How do we do this? Yeah. How do we do it? Yeah. Because as I've, as I've, I've spent years talking about the importance of connection and what does it mean to be a neighbor and all these things, the questions I was consistently getting was that sounds great. How do I do How? it? Yes. How? Like yeah. make it simple, make it plain. And so I, that that's what I endeavored to do in this book and in any reader, I, I wrote it in such a way that it can be applicable to such a wide variety of people living in such wide varieties of places and that wherever you are, it's not like, here's this book of things that you need to do today to become a better neighbor. It's like, here's this book of ideas, pick one, mm. pick one small step, mm. believing that that connection is worth the risk, believing mm. that like a life where we are not completely divided and mad at each other all the time, you know, believing that there's a better way than that. Pick a thing and and know that it's going to feel really small and overly simplistic and it might seem pointless, but I promise you it's not. I promise. Oh, I need this book so badly. And if anyone can make an instructionless beautiful, it is you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you. Okay, so to end, well, first of all, we want to know you know where to follow you and, and all of that. But before we do all of that, can you tell us something you're hopeful for? You know, I am hopeful for, I'm trying to be right now hopeful for fall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> fall is upon us. I live mm -hmm. in Northern Indiana where winters are so long. And so a lot of people love mm -hmm. fall and they love their pumpkin spice, everything. I have mm -hmm. to really fight to be hopeful about fall because mm -hmm. I'm like, I know, yeah, you know what's coming. <laughs> I know it comes, but right now I'm looking out my window right this very second. And the sky is like the perfect cornflower blue and the clouds are white and puffy and the leaves are the most beautiful gold. And, and there is so much hope in change. There is so much mm. hope in, in learning to let some things go. Yeah. And that's the hope I'm holding on to. Mm. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you.
Um, okay, so where do we follow? What do you want us to do? Give yeah. us give us instructions. <laughs> yes. Well, I hope you'll grab a copy of Start With Hello. You can find it on my website. Every possible vendor is linked there, shannonmartin.com. You can find it wherever you normally get your books. Shannon, um, by the way, you guys, it ends in A-N. I, I think that you will find her no matter what, but yeah. Shannon ends in A-N. Shannonmartin.com. <laughs> And on social media, you can find me almost every day on Instagram and Twitter. I love them both for different reasons, mm. um, but I am at Shannon Writes there. You can sign up for my newsletter. That's, of course, the best way to keep up with me. Um, but we have a lot of fun on Instagram. You know, we, we take mm. a lot of pictures of the sky because we're learning to just be people who, who practice paying attention. And that's, mm. that's one way to do that. So yeah. Yeah, there's lots of good conversations happening there. And, so I, and I just hope. I hope we we grab hold of this book and we grab hold of each other and we take mm. these these simple steps towards each other because I know that it will be worth it and I cannot wait to see what happens next. Yes. Yes and amen. Ugh. Um Shannon there are so many people that are ready to make changes and dig in and bring thy kingdom come but so many of us don't know where to start and your messages um they just keep taking us back to these pray Mary you know, this, this foundation, these primary instructions, which is to mm -hmm. love God supremely and to love others wildly. And I feel like these revolutions kind of always begin quietly, you know, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely mm -hmm. what changes the world. Um, we can quit trying to outrun ordinary. We can start yeah. paying attention to those groanings, you know, right where we are. Yeah. And we can put ourselves in each other's lives because it 100% matters. Guys, I never end episodes like bossing people around. Like I never have action <laughs> items or instructions. But listen, here's what I want you to do, friends. I want you to download, um, whether it's Audible or what your books. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not very techy, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the ministry of ordinary places while you walk your neighborhood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so that's in your earbuds as you're walking around paying attention. So, so there's one. And then I want you to go buy two copies of start with hello, um, one for you and one for a friend to give at Christmas time, because you know that someone's going to surprise you with a gift that you don't have a gift for them. And now you have something in your car or Love what it. have you to, to give away. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank I, you. I, your grocery list, hand it over. I'll read it. <laughs> so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Pink Salt Riot creates products that are created to be reminders to show up authentically as we are and live into the mission that God has exactly for us. Pink Salt Riot creates jewelry and greeting cards and lifestyle goods and gifts that anyone who loves Jesus would love. All of these products are made with the hope of pointing us back to radically standing in the truth about what God says about us and that we are worthy exactly as we are. We can anchor our daily lives to God's love and faithfulness. And you guys, Christmas is just around the corner. I know that there is something perfect for someone you care about at Pink Salt Riot. Follow them on Instagram and TikTok or PinkSaltRiot.com. Hello, Beefinator. Hi, Beefy Beefies. Hello. So um, it's not really common that you end episodes with like, instructions beef you really believe in <laughs> shannon's message yes I, I do i did all the things by the way good so yes. you'll know why i got bossy <laughs> oh yeah, yeah no i already do um i loved her so much just mm -hmm. i mean okay here's why like i don't know if it's just me but sometimes when i go to a conference or hear a speaker read a book or whatever um 
and there's just something about the person presenting or writing that seems like a little supernaturally great, right? And like unattainable and, yeah. and just normal. And so because they're great and saying great things and I'm just me, I can, you know, like let myself off the hook uh, right, right, about right. whatever yeah. they're trying to teach me. Yeah. It's like you're, um, of course you stamped out hunger. Of course you <laughs> like solved poverty because yeah. you're a hero and I'm just me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's not just me. Um, yeah. But I mean, what Shannon is saying isn't sexy or super grandiose. It's just mm-hmm. like ordinary people doing ordinary things in mm-hmm. their ordinary space, but still like making an extraordinary impact. Yeah. 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 I love that too. It's like, there is nothing superhero esque about opening a bag of lace and like, right. you know, some, some paper plates, you know, there is right. nothing glamorous about, you know, letting someone use your phone or you know, walking to school with both eyes open. I love how expansive her approach is and how she, in her book, really goes through all of these relationships that have grown and flourished just because Mm -hmm. she did very, very simple things. Just a little Mm -hmm. awareness and then some commitment, you know, to jumping off scripts with people. Right. Um, so do you have any examples of a relationship that surprised you by trying to live that way? Mm. Um, so I knew that you were going to ask me this. And so I did think of something. Um, it, it, this is probably, I don't know. This is just probably the best example of her work of Shannon's work of start with hello, you know? And, um, so there was this woman and she, so we, our front yard is a park. So right across the street is this little, nice little gathering area. There's a, um, gazebo. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> and so people will picnic there or ha- go have their lunch there or whatever. Anyways, she was there with her little girl uh, quite frequently. I saw her a lot and it was always just them. And so um, I, in my mind, she was a single mom. And I remembered so vividly this very lonely time of mm-hmm. when Silas was little. You know, it was like mm-hmm. Seth was working really crazy hours and it was me like trying to yeah. entertain this little person and those memories came flooding back to me every mm-hmm. time I would see her and finally it became just this this nudge that I could not ignore to go say hello to her. And so I finally did and that um just ended kind of one thing led to another just with some um regularity or frequency we started to do things together. It was the summertime. And so mm-hmm. um, we would take the kids to the library or to go get ice cream. And so there were just these things. The city was new to her. And so these were things that she didn't necessarily feel brave enough to do on her own. And so mm-hmm. anyways, it was great. And um, she ended up moving pretty soon thereafter, which was a really good thing for her because she was going to go move to be closer to family. But right before she left, she said, I, I want to tell you that, um, I would see you and your kids, you know, I knew how many kids you had and I would Mm. see your husband out throwing a ball, you know, Mm. and and it, y'all just looked happy. And I I put myself in front of your house very much on purpose. I was really hoping that you would come say hello to me. And the reason that it made me cry is not because, oh my gosh, yay, my family looks happy or, you know, which is still so touching, but it was, um, I almost didn't say hello. Like here was someone, because I didn't want to, you know? right, right. but here is someone who was actually actively trying to get my attention because yeah. we seemed nice. And I almost missed all that, you know, but you did. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, what about you? I know that you are often extending yourself in really great ways. Mm. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind isn't about me reaching out in a way that made me uncomfortable, but rather someone reaching out to me. So that's mm. convicting, I love convicting that. in itself. No, no, you're <laughs> So humble. Um, I love you. No. So I was at a retreat this weekend um, and it was, there was just a lot of people there that looked like me and think like me and live like me. Um, but there was a, this one particular woman that did not. Um, she clearly had a very different and, and you can just tell difficult life experience. And she was super closed off. Um, and without saying a word, there was no doubt that she was clearly rethinking the decision to come to the retreat. And I watched her, like I saw that I didn't blame her because I could see, I could imagine and empathize with how she must feel, but I wasn't sure, you know, what, if anything I could do about it. Um, so the seed was planted. I did nothing. Then on the second day of the retreat, um, I told part of my story as, as part of the retreat. And so I told all about our foster care journey and talked about the kids and their families and how we lean on God through all the uncertainty and how we have been so humbled by it all. And just the different, you know, mental health and addiction and, and racial injustice, all these issues that we've been exposed to. Um, so after the talk, she came up to me and again, she'd been like completely closed off, like not talking to anybody afterwards. She came up to me in tears and just very matter of factly said she would have never, ever expected that from someone like me. Um, she said that I was a lesson in not judging a book by its cover, just plain and simple. Um, and I mean, honestly, like there was one second where I felt defensive and like kind of wanted to unpack that, but, but thank goodness, immediately I went to um, just being so grateful that that there was a connection with her that she found, right? And that that let us, you know, start this totally, totally organic conversation. Um, and I think that what she was really getting at is that even though there's so many different things about our lives, um, our hearts break for the same things. And through that, um, we just started talking the rest of the weekend. And like, there's no doubt that she's going to be a, a important significant and like lifelong friend, I think for sure. Wow. That's really cool. I love that in both scenarios, it's, it was the honesty, you know, that right, kind right. of undid us, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> yes. but, but that honesty starts with hello. Like, right. thank you, Shannon, for helping us human. It's like, it is a literal start with hello. Awesome. Right. All right. So love simple. it. Yeah. Love you beef. Thanks. Love, love you beef. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.